Kia ora, you're with The House, I'm Johnny Blades. Efforts are underway to make Parliament more accessible for people who live with disability and not before time. The aim is to have a Parliament that's accessible for everyone that works in or visits Parliament. But there's a long way to go and a complex range of disabilities. Half a year ago, a new position of Senior Accessibility Advisor at Parliament was established. Stu Sexton was appointed to the role. So the role is predominantly pen, what we call pen disability, um, and that covers, you know, we're try, try, or trying to make the place as accessible for everybody, regardless of their, their abilities. Give me an idea of the scope of it. This must be a huge undertaking. Um, yeah, it is, it is. So uh, when I first came on board, I was looking at the uh, future accommodation strategy. We're, we're looking to make it as accessible as possible, and, and we've gone from everything from sort of ground up um, and that's everything from toilets to kitchens to meeting rooms to quiet areas for people that are on the uh, neurodiversity uh, spectrum. There are many parts of Parliament that have zero disability access, which means for some people that something as simple as meeting someone else in their office just can't be achieved. And for those that can, poor access on bad days can make just getting to work that much harder or more tiring. For Stu Sexton, it's still early days in his job and he's under no illusions about the scale of the task. For myself, obviously, I've got a, a physical disability. I'm a wheelchair user. I've got spina bifida. Had it all my life. You know, obviously, I'm not an expert in, in other, you know, disabilities. Um, I know a lot about other disabilities. I do go um, and seek advice from my, my peers with, with disabilities, um, from disabled um, persons organisations, um, DPOs, tap into their resource, a um, lot of reading, um, the internet's you know, quite, a, quite a good source of, of information. Disability and accessibility come down to um, the individual experience um, and so it's, you know, one size doesn't necessarily fit all, so you, can, you know, so it's about talking to to people and people that it does affect and working through them. So I've recently set up a, a staff uh, disability network and that's, um, we've had our first meeting, um, got 20 odd people along to that, which was exciting. Um, but it's, and, and each one of those are gonna have their own set of experience as well um, in terms of working working in Parliament. So it's talking about you know what's working for people, what's not working for people, chance for people to get together and talk amongst themselves, you know, and have those conversations. Um, but essentially, it's um, what I take from it is um, anything that's you know not working for them and trying to make it work. We recently did a um, just touching on the neurodiversity. It was a week celebrating neurodiversity, and I put out an email, um, and from that email had a number of staff members come to me and say, um, look, you know, I'm struggling at work or, you know, whatever. So it's about putting measures in place for them um, to make life, uh, you know, the work, work life a lot easier. I mean, people may not necessarily want to talk about their disability for a start, so you have to create an environment where people feel safe. Yeah, Coming yeah, to you or, yeah. or that network? Yeah. So, for example, um, you know, those people that did reach out to me around neurodiversity, you know, for them to feel comfortable enough for them to reach out and talk to me about it was huge. So it is about creating that environment where people can come and have that conversation. The other thing is, you know, in the past, and I'm not saying it's an issue here, in fact, I haven't seen it as an issue here, um, but in the past in other organisations, other companies other you know just in general disclosing your disability can be seen as a um, career limiting you know issue 
Let me ask you about people on the neurodiversity spectrum who, who live with a disability in that sense. I mean, that again is a fairly that's, wide spectrum. That's, that's very wide, you know, um, and, you know, I've, I've heard uh, experts in the, in the field say that we're all on that, on the spectrum at some point because we all do things differently. Um, so we're all on, the, on, the, on that spectrum, you know, some part of our lives. Or, um, so it, it is very diverse. And, you know, things like um, low sensory um, areas, um, so low light, low sound, uh, low smell. Um, so all those kind of areas that might trigger some sort of a, a reaction for a person. I mean, if we look at the chamber, what goes on there, it can be mayhem there. Oh, um, it's, light, it's, it's sound, huge sensory overload. Um, so you know, how how do we look at the chamber, for example, and, and you know, and, and make it a, a neurodiverse friendly place? Attitudes to disability are one of the biggest daily barriers for the people living with disability. It's no different at Parliament, and applies to anyone from staffers to MPs. I sat down with the ACT Party MP Tony Severin and asked her how having dyslexia affects her work. So here at Parliament, and especially you being a Member of Parliament, there's a lot of language that you have to deal with, whether it's reading it, speaking it, writing it. It's so key to the job, isn't it? How, how do you manage? Um, you know, with modern day technology, you know, we're carrying computers around in our pockets now. And like, so the invention of smartphones are really great. And you know, if there's a word that I don't recognise, at least I can tap it in and get the meaning of. And it's the same with computer, with computer systems and apps. So that does help quite a bit. Um, and part of the reason I never used to love to read, but now I do, partly because of the invention of Kindle and all that, because if I get stuck on a word, I can tap on it and I can find out the meaning. And if I'm still not too sure about it, I can actually get it to tell me the word. And then it will click for me. So I understand a lot of language and a lot of words. It's just for me, I don't necessarily uh, know how to spell them or pronunciate them correctly. Yeah. yeah. What about mindsets here at Parliament? I mean, are people accepting? I mean, did you think twice before you let people know that you were dyslexic when you came to Parliament? Uh, no, I was very open about it because I wanted people be prepared that I have um, a difficulty and I might need to ask for more help. And, um, and I didn't want to put a burden on people because that's the other thing is that you're mindful, you know, uh, you're going to create extra work for somebody else mm. and I don't want to be doing that um, because, you know, I've managed so far um, but the staff are really great. Um, if I want something written and look a little bit professional, I put my ideas and my notes down to them and they can quickly write it up and make it look a little bit more professional for me because that's... That, that outside don't want people to think that I'm dumb yes. and that's still there. But people in general, um, when I was doing the postgraduate certificate and policy analysis with a mixture of MPs from different parties, we had to do a blog, um, two blogs. I was scared of my fellow MPs that don't know me so well reading my blog. Um, so before I even wrote my blog, I had to put a little... Um, paragraph explain about my dyslexia and how frightened I was um, of some people that I don't know as well reading and their perception and a lot of them were really supportive said oh no you didn't need to do that and I said I did because that freed me of my fear 
and that's the biggest thing I think most of us um, live with is the fear of other people thinking we're stupid or you know because we haven't written something quite the right way um, likes so of my biggest fear would be now someone ask me to read something that I haven't seen before yeah. and I haven't had time to prepare it. When you have to speak in the chamber I mean does that fill you with trepidation or is it okay? I mean it's something you just get used to. It's something I just get used to. Um, here's, here's a story. Um, I don't have a problem and just as long it's my right. I know we all write our own so um, so that makes it a lot more easier. So it, if I got to have to read somebody else's or someone else's information, I would have had to put it into my own words to be able to do it. So it doesn't really frighten me. The Senior Accessibility Advisor position was created upon the recommendation of an accessibility reference group which operated for two years until last month, providing advice to the parliamentary service in the office of the clerk. Chris Ford was the chairman of the group. He says the establishment of the role was a good step by Parliament. As well as that, there have been a, there's a great recognition of New Zealand Sign Language. There's been New Zealand Sign Language training beginning to be undertaken with some MPs and also, with, most importantly, for parliamentary staffers as well. And besides that, there's been more recognition of people with invisible impairments, like, for example, neurodiverse people, the use of the sunflower lanyards, which is an international scheme adopted at, for example, in a series of New Zealand airports, but it's now also been brought into the parliamentary space. And through the sunflower lanyard system, people, neurodiverse people can self-identify, as well as those with other invisible impairments about what their needs are. All of those sorts of initiatives have begun due to the work of the group and also just the advocacy and lobbying that we've been engaging in with parliamentary staff involved. All right, Stu, so we are um, here in the forecourt of Parliament. It's a beautiful day, thank God. When it's windy and rainy, it can be extra hard, I guess, for yeah. the disability to get, yeah, get in there, right? Um, thankfully, the security staff here are really good, and they'll, they'll allow people to be dropped off at the front door. Um, you just got to plan ahead. Um, so, you know, give them a call, um, and then they'll arrange to have, the, um, have someone there ready, um, and the bollards can you know, go down and... and uh, Is that right? Um, you just call ahead? Call, yeah, so long as you call ahead and let them know, um, they can they can give you, advise you as to um, what you need to do. Um, and then when you arrive, um, ensure that the bollards go down, um, drive onto the forecourt, drop the person off, and then reverse the procedure on the way out. Okay. Yeah. Buildings are buildings and that, you know, they're all eight different ages and stages. And Well, that's true, isn't it? We've yes. got one... Very old building here that we're in currently. Exactly. Right next yeah. to a fairly modern Fairly one. modern building. Just the whole connection between the two has always seemed a little clunky. Yeah. So again, that's something that we're aware of and something that we are aware needs work, trying to figure out the best way to do that. Some of these access ways in are quite difficult. There are heavy doors, steps. Yeah. It's, not, it's yeah. not always easy, is it? Not always easy. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's identifying what the issues are and, and just the best way to... Again, it comes down to very much who's working in that office and what, what their needs are, what their particular needs are. Parliament's Social Services and Community Select Committee has recently been looking at legislation which tackles disability issues, namely the Accessibility for New Zealanders Bill. 
For the committee's chairperson, Labour MP Angie Warren-Clark, it's made clear to her and colleagues how difficult it is navigating some of Parliament's parts. I was really quite surprised that we didn't have any sort of standing orders or guidelines around how we might make uh, participation uh, for the disabled community easier. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of investigated that. We looked at it and decided um, as, as a, a select committee that we would instigate some practices. Um, and I understand as part of that, um, someone has been appointed to, the, to um, Parliament to support the better engagement with the disabled community. There are so many people who have hidden uh, disabilities that... Uh, makes it, my, my idea would be for uh, Parliament to be fully accessible for people with all sorts of needs. Do you think there are MPs who are hiding their disabilities? Oh, without a doubt. I think many of us um, have come to Parliament with, um, with particular either historical or current disabilities. You know, uh, I think Parliament's a fairly unforgiving place and I think to have a disability and to be open about that here could be problematic, could be problematic for some people. Um, we just need to be welcoming and open and supportive and enable people with disabilities to feel confident to express that or um, to, to actually come with visible disabilities and be supported in this workplace. And I think we're working towards that, quite frankly. I think we are, as, as you know, this is a historical building. You know, Parliament here, it has lots of staircases, all those kinds of things. Uh, doorways are very big and heavy and there are all sorts of things like that. So I think, you know, we need to work within the confines of this building but it's, it's really not rocket science. I mean, a start could be every door is automated. You know, every door has a push button and is opened. That would be a start. Meanwhile, Chris Ford is disappointed that the advisory reference group's role has been discontinued because although he says it's great that the senior advisor role has been created, he feels that work should be underpinned by ongoing work of the reference group. I know that they're seeking put through other channels, other means, they're welcoming disabled people's inputs and so forth. But really, I think that a reference group can very effectively tie that together as well. Our work was financially resourced by the parliamentary service. However, they've made this, this decision now. I was recently talking to an MP I know well, who said that parliament has a real ability to under-resource itself because of the populist misconception that Parliament and parliamentarians are living on a high. In response to this came a joint statement from the Clerk of the House, David Wilson, and Parliamentary Service Chief Executive, Rafael González Montero, saying that while they appreciate the group members were disappointed in this decision, they want to reassure them that they'll continue to work closely with the disabled community and they welcome feedback and suggestions from all on how to improve accessibility at Parliament. And efforts continue on a number of fronts. A new fund has been established called the Election Access Fund to support disabled people to stand as candidates in elections. 
The former Green MP Mojo Mathers, who is profoundly deaf, played a role in the initiation of the $1 million fund. In terms of the number of MPs who self-identify as being disabled, Ford says there's only two or three. He hopes more disabled people will consider standing for Parliament, but the barriers remain, not least of which is access to the debating chamber. We know that Parliament, the physical chamber itself, is not absolutely accessible at all for wheelchair users like myself. So we've been discussing things on that accessibility advisory group around how we'd handle that. We've heard from parliamentary services the idea of a sliding desk, for example, if there's a wheelchair or a mobility aid user who needs to use a wheelchair or mobility aid on a permanent basis due to having an impairment which necessitates that, that's going to be worked on. I'm glad that's going to be worked on because sooner or later, there will be a wheelchair using MP in our parliament for sure. This is echoed by Stu Sexton. If one of those people are elected, then we need to be ready for it. And so that's where we're at at the moment, is, is getting ready for that person when they come in the door, um, which is really exciting. Um, and, you know, it's what gets me up in the morning. It, you know, yeah. I guess my thing that guides me is a thing that we call universal design, um, and that's designing for every for everybody um, and essentially what they call cradle to grave. Um, when I say designing, it's not just buildings and, and that sort of thing, it's designing processes and procedures and getting them in place for, you know, for people. It's, again, it's a work in progress and you're never going to, you know, please all the people all the time. Rome wasn't built in a day. That was Stu Sexton, Parliament's Senior Accessibility Advisor. And you've been listening to The House, a programme made possible with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk, Kia Pai Tora.